Well, hey, good morning, LifePoint. How's everybody doing today? Doing good. Everybody brought winter with them this morning. It's uh, finally here, but uh, so glad to have you here to worship with us today. If you are new and visiting for the very first time, whether you're here in person or watching online, we'd love to connect with you. An easy way to do that is just to text that word welcome to the number on the screen, 406-219-0314, and uh, follow the prompts. But hey, uh, Matthew 22, we're going to dive right in this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible, go to Matthew 22 with me today. If you don't have the scriptures, we'll have it up on the screen for you to follow along with us as well. But raise your hand or raise your phone if you own a cell phone this morning. You have a cell phone. Yeah, right. Many hands, many hands. Everybody has a cell phone, right? It's crazy. I saw this little toddler walking in. He had this big cell phone on his side this morning. It was like, whoa, that's, I'm, that's a joke. He really didn't have one. But it seems like everybody has a cell phone, right? It's crazy how uh, quick that, that seemed to happen. I remember uh, when my wife and I first got married. We were married in 1999, and we got a cell phone. And you probably remember this if you're a little older. It was like one of those like big cell phones, and, and it was blue. I don't know why it was blue, but it was blue. It had these big, big numbers on it. And we took that phone. You know where we put it? in the glove box of the car, right? Put it in the glove box because we never used it, right? It was just one of those things that uh, you kind of use for an emergency. Raise your hand if you think we should go back to those days, right? Like, let's just put the cell phone back in the glove box, right? But I don't, I don't know if your phone uh, has this feature, but a lot of phones today have this feature where you can look at the battery life, right? You can open it up and you can uh, kind of check how your battery is doing and, and it'll show you like the top three and really show you everything uh, that is kind of draining the usage of your, your battery on your phone. But it, it'll have like the top three. And if you, if you look this up, it'll, it'll show you like the top three things that are draining you know, all the energy from your phone. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, while some of you this morning are like, I charge my phone once a week, and my phone is currently in my glove box in the car. Raise your hand if you're like that this morning. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But for others this morning, it is like 920, and you're already operating in battery saver mode. Raise your hand if that's you this morning. Some of you younger people are like, I'm already in battery saver mode on my phone, and so you know exactly what I'm talking about. But this is kind of an interesting, interesting thing to do. I don't know if you've ever done this, uh, is to, to check it out. And, and maybe today you do that. Like, go home and, and look at your phone. Like, what are, what's taking the most usage, the most battery from my phone? And some of you are like, I have no idea why you're talking about this today. But it's kind of revealing. It's actually kind of revealing. Because it's not just really showing you what is draining your phone. It's actually showing you where do you spend your most time? Where do you spend a lot of your time when it comes to your phone? Uh, but the same is true, and the reason I bring that up this morning is that your life, my life, our bodies are a lot like our cell phone. Like we only have so much energy in a day. We only have so much power until we kind of need to be recharged in life. Our lives operate a lot like a cell phone. And as you get older, as many of you feel like I have less and less energy, right? Raise your hand if you can relate to that. The older I get, the less energy I feel like I have in a day. It's like, it's, you know, it doesn't take a lot to like drain my life, drain my time. I, I only have so much, you know, to run on and I just like, feel like I'm just zapped. But this is something we can all relate to no matter how old you are. You only have so much energy. You only have, only have so much battery, so to speak, in life uh, to, to, to get through a day. And so this is a kind of a common thing for everyone. We can all relate to the idea and the feeling of being tired, being exhausted, being stressed out. And this is kind of the way modern life is. Because modern life is always on. 
If we're honest with ourselves, we look at our time and the amount of time we have, and many of us would say, I don't have enough time, but we, we have this mentality. We go through it, we're just like always on, whether it's at home or it's at work, I'm just always on, and we don't have enough margin in our lives. In fact, most of us would, would say, I don't have enough margin. I don't have enough blank space. I don't have enough downtime. I don't, I don't have, you know, this space in my life to kind of recoup and, and re-energize in my life. In fact, when you, when you greet people and, and maybe you came in here this morning and you had a conversation, it was like, how was your week? How are you? And you're like, I'm busy, right? And it seemed like everybody's busy these days. Everyone's tired. There's not many people who said like, how was your week? Well, I'm bored. I just have all this free time on my hands and I just don't know what to do with it. Like, I, you know, nobody says that. Everyone is busy, and we almost just kind of go through life today accepting like that's just the way it is, or like you, you just can't change that reality, but I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't, you don't actually have to live that way, that there actually is a better way to live. You don't have to live like the rest of the world lives. In fact, uh, in the U.S., did you know that the United States ranks in the top 10 of most hours worked in the world. I was kind of shocked by that because uh, I thought that we would be ranked in like the top five. We're not. We're actually number 10. Uh, but, but, but in the U.S., it's, it's, not, it's not unusual to be overworked, to feel like you don't have downtime, to feel like you don't have enough space in your life. Modern life is always on, always busy, but you don't you don't actually have to live that way. And so I want to welcome you to a new sermon series that we're starting this Sunday. And uh, we're going to be talking about the idea of margin. And not just margin so that you have like space in your life to take a vacation, space in your life to have a day off. We're going to dive a little bit deeper and say that we need some margin in our lives, some space in our lives for God to actually work. How many of us have that? We have space, some time, some margin so that God can actually work in our lives. If we were honest with ourselves this morning, we would probably say, I don't leave enough time for God to work in my life. I don't make enough time. I, make, I don't make enough space for God to work in my life. My, like, my life is full. And, and we make all kinds of excuses. My life is full. My life is busy with, with work and, 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 and school and family and hobbies and so on and so forth. My life is busy. There's not a lot of margin in my life for God. That's a common, common tension I would say for a lot of us today, a lot of Christians, I don't have time, right? It's an excuse we make. I don't have time. But what if you had more time, right? What if you had more time? Would, would there all of a sudden be kind of a shift in your life where you realize like, wow, how am I going to fill this space? Am I actually going to make space for God to work in my life? How could your relationship with God and your relationship with others be different if you have that kind of margin. Well, Mark Lentz in his book called, uh, he's, it's called Six Key Areas in Which to Develop Margin. He defines margin for us. And I love, love, love his definition. It'll be on the screen for you to see as well. But he said this margin can be defined as the space between our load and our limits. And I like that, right? That there's some blank space between the load that we're carrying in life and our limits where we would say, I can't carry anymore. There's some margin. That's how he defines it. He said it's the breathing room that we all need in our lives. It's the buffer between where you are and, uh, uh, on your rope and the end of your rope, the space between your load and your limits. Do you have that today? 
Do you have that today? This is something that uh, has become really, really personal uh, for me over the, the past few years, navigating the reality of like, how heavy of a load can I actually bear personally uh, as it relates to my family, as it relates to ministry? And it's a humbling thing, especially for men, for those of us to realize like, hey, I realize I, I can't carry as big of a load as I thought. That I, that I realized that the load that I thought I could carry isn't quite, quite what I thought it was. And so I can relate to the feelings of being burnt out, being exhausted, and the challenge of actually letting go because you realize you can't carry everything and everyone's burden in life. And so I think I speak for every single person here this morning by saying this, we all need to build more margin in our lives for God to work. We all need to build some blank space, the space between our load and our limit for God to actually work in and through our lives. We need that. You need that. I think everyone needs that here this morning. We all need to practice. We need to practice the concept of saying no. I want you to say it on the count of three. Say no. One, two, three, no. Right? That's hard, isn't it? It's hard to say no. It's hard to say no to people. It's hard to say no to things. It's hard to say no to good things in life. But we need to actually learn to, to say no to things because we often forfeit the best things, the best things uh, in life. And, and what is the best thing that you can do with your life? Like what, what, when it comes to like, we think about like our life as a cell phone, this battery, like what, if I'm going to conserve the, the usage of this phone and the battery, like what's the best thing I can use this and dedicate its time to? And our life is no different. What are the most important things that we would say, if I'm going to put energy and life into something, what is that? The problem is we get it wrong often. We think it's work, and we think it's title, and we think it's money, and we think it's, you know, all these things we fill our life in because we have this empty hole in our lives that we want to fill it in and make our lives happy, and so we, we dedicate all this time. Is that really the best thing? What is the best thing? To dedicate our life to the greatest thing, to focus this limited supply of energy that we have in life. Well, Scripture, scripture has an answer, of course. Scripture has an answer, and it's found in Matthew's gospel where he records the very words of Jesus answering that kind of question. What is? What's the greatest thing? What's kind of those top three, if you will, uh, things that, that ought to take up my time and my pursuit of life? And this is a very familiar passage of Scripture, and it's going to act as kind of our foundation, our launch pad, so to speak, over the next three weeks. So we would say, this is the most important thing that we often forget, that we nod in church and amen in church, and then we go about our life in, in, in the opposite direction of the words of Jesus here found in Matthew chapter 22, and it's very, very familiar. You've heard it before. Starting in verse 35, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. They're speaking to Jesus, and there was this like religious crowd group of people who always wanted to trip Jesus up in his words, wanted to catch him and, you know, saying something off and, 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 and immoral or whatever the case might be, and so here's this lawyer, and he comes to Jesus, and he asks him this question, teacher, What's the greatest commandment of the law? There were 10. What's the greatest one? Because he thought, if I ask Jesus to answer this question, he's going to answer it in such a way and put one commandment over the next and, 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 and diminish some, and we'll catch him in that. And notice Jesus' response. It is so good. In verse 37, he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and this is the first commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets, meaning everything that God has ordained in the Ten Commandments, they fall on this idea, loving God and loving others. This is really the sum all of Christian life, to love God and to love others. It's kind of the metric, if you will, uh, of spiritual life. It, it, it is the battery indicator. Love is. Uh, it, it indicates where is your energy going? Is it actually going to the right things? It is the telos, as one writer put it, of Christianity. The whole aim and goal of Christianity is to love God with everything you got and to love others in the same way. And so it begs the question, how well are you loving God and others today? If you were to look at your life, and, and that was like the metric, so to speak, that's like the indicator, so to speak, the, the primary thing that would say, hey, is, where is it going? Are you actually loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, as another gospel writer puts it, in others, as yourself? How much margin is in your life to do that very thing right now? How much energy is going towards that? And it's something we will, of course, never do perfectly, right? Like the, the reality is that I'm never going to love God perfectly here on this earth. I won't. I'm never going to love others perfectly here on this earth. But the problem for a lot of us is that we've made no room in our lives, no room in our lives to pursue this very thing. But we do some kind of version of it, don't we? We look at this passage, we're like, oh, I've heard that a thousand times. You've probably heard a million messages on that passage there. And we understand it intellectually, but we often live in some variation of loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. So some of us, we would say, well, I give God some heart, and I give God some soul, and I give God some mind, but certainly not, not all of it. Or we would say this, and, and this I would say is a lot of, a lot of Christians live in this, this reality today. We would say relationship with God is all intellectual, and so we give God all our mind. But we don't give him any heart, and we don't give him any soul, and we don't give him any strength. A lot of Christians think it's all intellect. And consequently, listen, when you don't love God well, when I don't love God well, here's what happens. We don't love other people well. We don't love our spouse well. We don't love our kids well. Uh, and listen, I know that's been true for me personally. When, when we're tired and we're exhausted and we're living in this, this rat race where there's no margin, there's no time for God to work uh, in our lives, and we're just like living uh, uh, to this edge of like burnout and exhaustion and stress and tired and all of this kind of stuff, we don't love other people well. Some of my worst moments as a parent Raise your hand, you've had some worst moments. We all have, I'm not the only one, right? Some of my worst moments as a parent and as a husband have been when I'm tired physically, emotionally, and spiritually, when there's absolutely no margin for God in my life. And some of you are living that very pattern over and over and over, day after day after day. You're living the rat race. You said, like, my life is like, I'm on this hamster wheel, and I don't know how to get off. I just, you know, just keep repeating the same thing. Nothing is changing seemingly in my life except for the fact that you're becoming more irritable. You're becoming more anxious than ever. You're becoming angry because you're spent, you're tired, and you, yet you know something has to change. 
you know something has to change. And it starts with looking at how much am I actually loving God? How much am I giving to loving him and loving others, right? This really becomes the priority, but how, right? There isn't so much to Christianity. It's not so much like the what, it's the how. Like you can have all the knowledge in the world. You can understand the Bible cover to cover. You can, you know, understand all of this theology and be this super smart person. But if you don't know how to do it and you don't actually live it out, it doesn't matter. So we got to know how. How do I do this? Well, over the course of the next few weeks, listen, we're going to explore four principles to love better, to build margin into our lives where we would say, I have space for God. Like I am intentionally building space in my life between my load and my limits. Some of you, you don't know where your limits are. Like you need to understand there's a limit. There's only so much you can bear in life on your own. And we try to do it on our own, don't we? We need some margin for God. And so we're going to learn some principles that are very foundational to get back to this place that we would say this, I have margin in my life to love God completely, wholly. That that becomes the, like, the, like the basis of our relationship with God. That we say, God, it's all about loving you. And I want to love you more. I want to give you all of my love. And I want to love others, my spouse, my kids, the people around me, the way that you desire for me to do that. And so we're going to look uh, at a foundational concept of uh, in the Old Testament and in other places called Sabbath. Raise your hand if you've heard the term Sabbath before, right? You've heard this term before. We're going to look at this foundational foundational concept and what, what it was meant to produce in the, in the lives of the Jews, because the Jews were actually commanded to keep the Sabbath in a very specific way. The Sabbath was something that God, of course, implemented into the life rhythm of every Jew so that there would be margin in their lives for them to stop and to look at God and to be reminded of who he is, what he's done, and, and, and how he loves him. The practice, listen, of Sabbath is such a lost and, and forgotten uh, principle. But I want us to understand very, very clearly this morning, because some of you, 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 you may, uh, may think we're going down this road. We're not going down this road. But some of you may think, oh, uh, the Sabbath is something we have to like, keep religiously. we got to go back to this. And I would tell you this morning that the Sabbath is not a new covenant command. It is not something that we are commanded to keep. Uh, but we would do well, we would do well to learn to implement the idea of a Sabbath into our spiritual practice. And so we're going to dive into those thoughts, and we're going to look at four questions during this series. It's going to help us uh, build more margin in our lives. I'll give you the questions so you know kind of where are we going and what are we going to kind of talk about. We're going to answer these four questions. Number one, what do we need to stop in order to build margin? And Sabbath relates to all of these. And we'll explain what that means and how it relates here in just a moment. But what do we need to stop in order to create, create margin so we can love God and love others? How and where do we find rest? Rest in our lives so that we actually have space for God to work. We're going to look at that next Sunday. Uh, and then we're going to look at this idea of delight, pleasure, the delight, the things that we delight in in life. And I think it'll be really, really interesting. And then lastly, we'll talk about the idea of worship. What do we worship? Because in the end, everyone is going to worship something. Some of you are here, you're like, well, I'm in church, so I must worship God. No, you don't. 
we all are going to worship something. It might be work, it might be money, it might be relationships, but we ought to worship God. And so stop, rest, delight, and worship. Those are four things that we're going to look at uh, and how they relate to Sabbath. But what is Sabbath? Let's just take a few minutes to kind of dive into this idea. We're not going to exhaust it, but look at this idea, the theology of Sabbath. Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. It's first found in Exodus chapter 20. In fact, the the word Sabbath is found much, much earlier, and we'll look at that here in a moment. But this is to Israel. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You probably have heard it before. It says this in verse 8 of Exodus 20. It'll be on the screen. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, you shall do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant. Check this out. Even your livestock is to stop the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. What does this word mean? Sabbath. Well, in the Hebrew, it's the word Shabbat, and it means this, to cease. It means to stop. At its very basic definition, the word Sabbath is this idea of desisting, stopping, ceasing, some kind of activity, some kind of work, stopping. And so when you think about Sabbath, you first have have to think about stopping something. And God's like, I want you to stop something so that you can focus your attention, your thoughts on me. And what was the stop for them, of course, was, 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 was the work that they, that they were to do. But this was something very specific to the Jewish nation. And I'll show you why that is true here in just a moment. But there's all kinds of implications of that that we'll kind of flesh out here as we go through this. But this was for the Jews, This was a command actually for them. Let me show you why that's true. In Exodus 31, you don't have to turn there. You can just kind of peruse through as we go through this. In chapter 31, verses 16 through 17, it says, Therefore, the people of Israel, who? The people of Israel shall do what? Keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign for, uh, forever between who? Me, God, and the people of Israel, that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, seventh day rested and was refreshed. Who is to keep the Sabbath? The people of Israel. It was a sign, God says, between me, God, and the people of Israel. One more example in chapter 20, verses 10 through 12 of Ezekiel. It says, so I led them out of the land of Egypt. God, looking back, speaking about about bringing them out of Egypt, right, and into the wilderness. And he says, I gave them my statutes, and I made known to them my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them what? My Sabbaths is a sign between me and them that they might know that I'm the Lord who sanctifies them. Now listen, this isn't a command necessarily for us. This isn't like, oh, we've got to live like the Jews. There's a lot of commands that were given to the Jews that aren't for us. Did you know that they were supposed to wear wool clothing? It couldn't be mixed. And so, you know, if we're to live according to that, if you have polyester and cotton, you're a sinner, my friend. Like, you know, it's not true, right? Like, we don't, we're not to live that way. But that was a command one of the commands that was given specifically to the Jews, and the Sabbath was one of them as well, right? The Sabbath was one of them as well. But that doesn't mean, and I want you to hear me on this, that doesn't mean that there's not wisdom in principles that you and I can learn for living today that we would actually say, hey, if God actually rested, and if he actually said that this is good and healthy, 
for his nation, the people that he chose to love and shine his grace upon? Is it something that we ought to look at as well? Right? And so I think there are some things that we can bring into our lives that are Sabbath-like without becoming legalistic or overly religious in our thinking that can be very, very helpful for us. And the first is this. Remember, we're talking about margin. Having margin in our lives, not, just, not so that we can just have a vacation and have time off. And listen, you need that, and that's important, and we'll talk about those things, but that so that you can love, so that you can love God. And you can give him all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Again, love becomes the battery indicator. How well am I loving? If the answer this morning, and many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we would say, I'm not loving very well. I'm not loving God very well. If the answer is I'm irritable, I'm angry, I'm on edge more often than the opposite, then it's likely, friend, this morning, you don't have margin in your life. You don't have space between your load and your limit. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to understand that. It's not a bad place to be. It's just that you would actually understand. This is where I'm at. And something's got to change. Something has got to change, right? And so we have got to learn to build margin. You're in control. Did you know this? Of how much margin you have in life. We often buy into the lie that says, oh, no, I don't. And my work and my schedule and all of this kind of stuff. And like, I get that. And some of you have different schedules that, that like, it's, it's harder and, it, and it, it's, it's, it's not as easy, but you're in control. Whatever your circumstances are in life, you are in control with your time. And so if your life is spinning out of control, listen, you need a Sabbath and you need to, to practice this principle of Sabbath and involves first this important question, what do I need to stop? What is it I need to stop? If, if you're, you know, you're going to go home and I look at my phone and go, oh, I wonder if the phone does that. Some of you are so captivated by just that this morning. I wonder, what am I looking at? You know, what am I spending my time on? But some of you will go home and you'll actually begin to look at your life. And you'll, you'll actually begin to take inventory. And as we start a new year, what better time to look at our life and to look at the past year and say, what has actually been taking my time? What has been sucking all the energy, all the effort, all the emotion, all everything in me? What is it that I'm actually giving my life to? Some of you will actually do that. And you'll begin to see, you begin to see that it, that it may not, you know, I was, I was thinking about this, like when you go home and you look at your phone, you're like, I would bet that for most of us, the Bible app is not top, you know, number one, two or three, right? It's like, oh yeah, the Bible app, there it is, number one. Like, yeah, probably not, right? Probably not. But what do you need to stop? You see, the idea of Sabbath, it calls us to ask this question, to look at our lives and say, what is it that I need to Sabbath in my life in order to, to have margin for God's work? What is it I need to stop or say no to? That's what Sabbath calls us to. And it's a starting point. Like you've got to learn to stop, to cease, to take a break and actually focus on what's most important. And God the Father left us, do you know he actually left us this pattern to follow? I find this absolutely fascinating. All the way back to creation, notice with me, in Genesis chapter two, verses one through three, you have the creation account. 
And God shows us like how he created and what he created on what day he created what. And it says in chapter two, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God did what? He finished his work that he had done and he rested. You know what that word rested is in the Hebrew? It's Shabbat. It's Sabbath. God Sabbath. God rested. On the seventh day from all his work that he had done, and so God blessed the seventh day, verse three, made it holy because on it God rested, God Sabbathed from all his work that he had done in creation. Pretty interesting when you think about it. You know why? God don't need rest. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. He was like, oh, that was so hard creating the world. Like, like I'm so exhausted. I just reached the end of my rope. God doesn't tire. But he gives us a picture And he gives us this rhythm of life that we actually need rest. And we're going to talk more about the idea of rest next Sunday. But here God shows us a pattern for living six days. He worked. And on the seventh, he practiced Sabbath. He stopped. He ceased. He desisted from his labor. labor. And listen, you and I have got to go back to this foundational teaching. Because for a lot of us, we're stuck in the pattern of our own creating. Let me say that again. We're stuck in the pattern of our own creating. We've bought into the lie of modern life. And I think there's no greater lie that Satan has been the perpetrator of, purporter of, however you say it, uh, than than this, that he would say, if I can keep him busy. And and we buy it, don't we? We're like, well, I've got to work, and I've got to have all this stuff, and I've got to provide, and and, and yes, you do. But to what end? Some of us, we buy into that lie so much. Like, like, listen, if, if, if work is your identity, and for some of you, you would say, like, everything I am, if you lost your job tomorrow, and you lost that position, and you lost that title, some of you would be absolutely crushed, because your identity is wrapped up in that thing. If I'm not this, then I'm nothing. And Zane's like, yeah, believe that. Because, like, your identity is not wrapped up in your work. Your identity is not wrapped up in your position, your title. Your identity is in me. And I find it interesting that the nation of Israel, right, they were to stop for a day, 24 hours, Friday at sundown to Saturday sundown, all work, no work, stop, rest, and remember what? Remember God. Remember that he created. Remember that he rested from his work, from his labor. Your identity is not in your, in your work. But some of us, we've bought into that lie. And listen, I'm not saying quit your job. You're somebody who's like, Monday morning, pastor said, quit, quit my job. Like, to be like knocking on the, you know, church door, like, well, I guess I'm here. Like, you know, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying something's got to give. Something's got to give. Something's got to give in your life. Something has got to stop in order for you to start living in a way that honors God. You need to learn Sabbath. Because Sabbath involves stopping from the work that's sucking all the life and all the energy out of you. That's not healthy. It's not okay to live without margin. It's not okay. But I want you to understand, we're not talking about, again, taking a vacation or more days off. You need that, of course. It's important. We are talking about changing the rhythm of your life to include God more so that you love more God God and others. What do you need to stop? In order to begin to do that, that's the question. 
And it's really a principle. You see, like, I think in other places, you see the concept of putting off and putting on. Colossians, Paul talks about that concept of, of there's some things, the old self, the old ways, the sin that, that is just there in our lives. We're to put off some things, but we're to actually put on and clothe ourselves in righteousness and all of these other things. But in Hebrews chapter 12, we find this uh, as another example in verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, if you haven't, haven't read Hebrews 11, it talks about all these people who said the most important thing is me loving God. And by faith, and by faith, and by faith, they chose God over their circumstances, and they were blessed by it. And so the writer encapsulates and begins chapter 12 and says, because of all of that, because of their witness, their testimony, their example of choosing, excuse me, to live a different way, we, he says, let us also do this, lay aside every weight and, and, and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice he said lay aside every weight. He includes sin. Yeah, we ought to not live a sin-filled life. We ought to look at sin and say, I hate it. I don't want it. I, I don't want to live that way. But we also ought to look at this thing called weights. These things that weigh us down. You see, there's a lot of things in life that are good. They're just not great. There's a lot of things in life that the, the Bible even says like, hey, look, that might be good, but it's a weight and it's holding you back from the best things, from the most important things. Like, listen, work is good. Work is good, right? Making money for your family is good. But let me tell you, if in return you forfeit a relationship with your spouse and your kids, no, that's not good. That's not good. You've got to stop living that pattern, the pattern that has no margin for God to work in your life. And so let me ask you this morning, how much margin do you have today? How much margin do you intentionally, intentionally build into your life where you would say, God, this is for you. This is for you to work in my life. And for some of you, that battery indicator is the anger and, and the stress and the anxiety and all the emotions that you're just like lashing out and it's coming out of your life. We ought to stop and look at that. If we could like come out of ourselves for a moment and be like, do you see yourself? You ever ask yourself that question? Sometimes other people say it to us. And we're like, uh, I don't want to hear that. But sometimes we need to stop and look and see what is coming out of my life because it's often an indicator that we've not built margin the space between our load and our limits. We all need more margin, but we'll never get it by just wishing it to happen. You can't leave here today and be like, well, that was good. I, I sure wish that would happen in my life. It doesn't work that way, right? We all need more margin, but we've got to start by stopping something in order to start doing something uh, that is more beneficial and more important, and that is loving God with all our hearts, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. The practice and the principle of Sabbath can help us get there. We all need more margin and to build more margin in our lives for God to work. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. Would you stand as we get ready to close this morning? I don't know where you're at. I don't know the struggle. I don't know the time constraints. I don't know the stress in your life. But I can imagine it's modern life. We're always on. And if we're honest, most of us would say we're always stressed. We're a little anxious. We got our, our to-do list. And often, God's not even on the to-do list. He doesn't make it. 
because we got all this other stuff to do in life. Here's some homework for the week. So like, what do I do? Here's a takeaway, real simple. Make a list of your top three things that you would say, this is the greatest energy sucker of my life. Just like a phone, battery, gets sucked by the news and YouTube and Instagram or whoever knows what. What's sucking all the energy out of your life? What are you dedicating the most of your time, your energy, your thinking to in life? Make a list and ask yourself, what needs to stop? What needs to change? Where can I take Sabbath in my week? A moment, a period of time. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into this as we get through this. Like, what does that even look like? Is it, is it a 24-hour period? Maybe. Is it an hour for some of us? Maybe. But it's got to start somewhere that we stop for a moment and we refocus our thinking on what's, in, what's most important. You don't have to keep living your life just like everybody else. Christian's supposed to be different. We're supposed to reflect the glory and the wonder of God. But you can't do that if you have zero margin in your life. Let me read you just one last quote. This is from John Mark Comer. He's a former pastor and, and author. But he said this, Sabbath, Sabbath, like all the practices, like so many things in life, the practices, the spiritual practices of life, he said, it's a means to an end. He said, the end isn't I practice Sabbath, and that's what a lot of Christians do. I go to church. I read my Bible. I am religious. I did this thing. We just kind of check it off. That's not Christianity, the to-do list. He said, it's not that you just practice Sabbath. It's not even, he said, even to be well-rested and happy, although that's a byproduct of it. He said this, and this is so important. It's to participate in the love and the life of God himself, to center our entire life around him, to live more deeply in him. Does that sound, sound better? It sounds better, right? Not just on Sabbath, but he said all week long. Friend, this morning, you don't have to live the rat race. But it starts, it starts by saying no to something. It starts by implementing Sabbath, a cessation into your life. And so what needs to stop so that you and I can give God all instead of just some? God, this morning, forgive us. God, for a lot of us, we, we only give you the leftovers. And, and, and we think we can manage life on our own. We think we can, we can get through the, the hardships on our own. We think, God, you're just reserved for, you know, maybe the big moments of life, but not the everyday. God, teach us that we need margin space for you every, every day so that you can work in our hearts and our lives and give us the right perspective to navigate the day in, the day out. Help us, God, to, to build margin that we need. Over the course of the next three weeks that we would begin to implement some of this, these ideas that, God, they originated with you. You're the creator of this idea of Sabbath, that you know that we need this rhythm of life that stops from the hurry and the pace and the busyness and the always on to stop and to focus our thoughts on you, if but for just a moment. Teach us your way Teach us to live like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you worship one last time with us?